Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Yael Goldstein Love is the author of The Possibilities, a novel. Yael is the author of the novels The Passion of Tasha Darsky, described as showing signs of brooding genius by the New York Times, and of course, The Possibilities, a speculative thriller about the psychological transition to motherhood, a people pick of the week, and Good Morning America recommendation for summer reading. I think that was actually me who recommended it. The Possibilities grew out of Yael's own rocky transition to motherhood, as well as her clinical passion for working with people during this fraught and potentially generative period. Her doctoral dissertation examined how mothers experience their anxiety for the unknown futures of their children. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, the San Francisco Chronicle, the Boston Globe, and Slate, among other places. A graduate of Harvard University and the Wright Institute, she lives with her six-year-old son and a very patient cat in Berkeley, California. In another life, she was co-founder and editorial director of the literary studio Plimpton, which aims to make the digital age a golden age for literature. Welcome, Yael. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss the possibilities of novel. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, yay. Can you please tell listeners what your novel is about? 
it is about the experience, the psychological experience of becoming a new mother. And I use a sci-fi metaphor to do that. So it's, it's a little bit, it's a sci-fi thriller, but it's really just about becoming a new mother. And so it's about a woman whose son almost dies at birth. She has this very bad birth. It seems like her son almost died. And then she can't shake the feeling. He's fine, but she can't shake the feeling that he can't, it came too close. And something is, you know, she can't quite trust that he exists. And then when he's eight months old, he disappears from his crib. And everyone starts forgetting one by one that he ever existed. His, the cops who respond to the kidnap call, his own father, eventually. And it's up to her alone to find him and bring him back. And that is complicated because it involves uh, parallel realities. <laughs> that, that is the book. All right. So where did this come from? Where did, and where, and when did you decide to take it in this direction? And did you ever think like, okay, well, what if this, and what if that, and like, just kept going? Yes. uh, All of that. I mean, it came from my own experience of becoming a mother. The birth, the the book starts with this birth scene, this sort of harrowing birth scene. And anyone who has read that birth scene now knows my birth exactly. Like that birth scene was my birth um, of my son. Yeah. And I had a doozy of a postpartum experience as a result of that. I mean, I really, it's like, you know, I spent an hour not knowing if my child had lived or died. You know, I was just like in the, in the waiting room and no one could tell me, is my child going to live? Am I going to take home a child or am I in the middle of a tragedy? And as you can imagine, that hour felt like it lasted a lifetime. And so then I take home this baby, you know, in this cozy and everyone's happy and healthy. But in my mind, I've just lived a lifetime where my child also died. And so it took that normal hypervigilance of motherhood where you're just like, you know, every little thing, you're like, what if this, what if that, what if that? And you're watching and you're keeping that. It took it up several notches. And so I kept feeling as though every way things could have gone, like, you know, that moment's like, oh my gosh, like, what if I hadn't caught my daughter at the last moment and she rolled off the changing table? What if his head slipped beneath the bathwater? You know, it would feel to me like each of those were spinning off into their own reality on some sense. And they were sort of crowding in on my cozy reality. And it made for a really strange psychological experience. And I never experienced anything like it. And I hadn't heard anyone talk about it. And so I was like, I need to capture this somehow. And the first way that I was able to capture it was to come up with this, this metaphor, this sci-fi metaphor, which was to say, like, imagine if at the law, at the moment of birth, the laws of nature briefly change so that other ways, other possible realities, other possible way thing, ways things could have gone, not only exist side by side, but can actually affect each other. Because that's what it actually felt like to me. <laughs> and then once I could, I could put it in those terms, I could write through my experience and make sense of it. And it helped me so much, so much. Wow. Well, in the book, you have the main character seeing a therapist who diagnoses her with this sort of, I think you said dissociative disorder or I can't remember what the technical term was, but was that, and did you make that up? Was that a real thing? And is that what you had? So in in the book, I actually have her, her um, therapist just give her well, so originally her therapist gives her like the sort of adjustment disorder, like yeah, adjustment you know, disorder. Just having like, yeah, yes. which just, I mean, that's, that's really just like a, a, a therapist term for like, I have to say something to insurance <laughs> 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 and you're, and you're having a normal hard time in response to like a normal, you know, a hard, a hard thing in life. And then she has this very weird thing happen early in the book where it seems like either she's crazy or reality is crazy. Right. And then, and at that point her therapist says like, well, maybe these are some sort of like post-traumatic stress. Yes 
symptoms with some, you know, some dissociation in there. And yeah, I mean, I I didn't have anyone diagnose me at the time, although I should have been able to diagnose myself at the time. I mean, in retrospect, yeah, I had, I mean, not nearly as bad as Hannah, who's like actually having reality change on her, which I did not, but I definitely had some post-traumatic stress symptoms. You know, I couldn't sleep. I was scared to sleep. I have nightmares. I would like avoid certain things that would remind me of the birth. I mean, it was a, I kind of existed in this bubble of pain and fear for months and it was bad. I'm so sorry. That's really hard. As if it's not hard enough having like a baby at home and dealing with all of that. I mean, a joy, obviously, and a privilege and blessing, blah, 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 blah. But, you know. All of it. You know, it's almost like you're grieving. It's like a loss. It is a loss. I mean, I actually think, I mean, that, and that's part of what I really wanted to get at in the possibilities. I mean, there were a few aspects of the sort of psychological experience of motherhood that I really wanted to highlight by changing the laws of reality in a way that you can get at psychological reality a little better. And one was, you know, just the existential stakes, like that, like we, we roll our eyes at maternal worry, like, oh, a worried mother, huh? you know, like what? And it's like, no, 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 no. This is not something to roll your eyes at. This is, this is like, this is like as deeply life and death existential weight as you, as any human being gets, you know, it's like you are, you have this primal drive to protect this person and you know, you can't because things happen. Chance happens. You have no, and that gap is so much. And then, but the other part was this, you know, this, this crisis, this identity crisis that we sort of have to go through, even if you're having the best experience of becoming a mother. There is, you you have to mourn for the person you used to be. You have to mourn for the life you used to have. And I feel like there's other aspect of it, which is you are learning so many things about yourself that you have kept out of your awareness until now, because I think parenthood puts the the thumbs to every pain point in your sight, in your makeup. And suddenly you're like, why am I doing this? Why do I react this way? Why does this make me feel this way? And you're, and all these things that you manage to keep out of awareness are coming into your awareness. And so I think there's mourning in that too. Like it's wonderful to get to know ourselves better. It's enriching in many ways. And there's mourning. Like I'm this way. Yeah. This is a way I you know, And that, that other way that I thought I was is a way I'll probably never be like that too involves mourning. It's true. Even all the inputs from your own like family of origin and how much they're affecting you. And like, oh, I forgot about this whole thing with my mom. And, you know, oh, this with my dad. You know, you just don't even, you don't need to draw up those memories so often in day-to-day life until all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. And I never thought I would say that, but oh my gosh, (laughs) here I just said it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I am so sorry the birth scene was yours because reading the birth scene, like I feel like it was so vivid the way you write and the emotions and the clarity and, you know, the, the arm... I mean, it was so real to me that the fact that you had to live through that was, of course, terrifying, you know? And I think that's one of those other things too, where you're supposed to, in times where we're like supposed to be so happy, right? Like you should be so happy. You have a new baby, but like something else is wrong. Then it's like, you're not even allowed to feel all those feelings. Exactly. Exactly. And it's so isolating. Yeah even from your own experience, because I feel like then you're trying to tell yourself like, no, 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 I'm happy. I'm happy. Like right, this is right. actually good. Yeah, It all worked out. It all worked out. Right. Exactly. But it came at a cost, you know, but it came at a cost. Yeah. Which is, yeah. I also think this deep desire to like keep kids. Okay. 
is so, you know, I know you said it was like this primal feeling, which of course it is, but like it doesn't go away. You know, people joke about postpartum anxiety and I'm like, I still have postpartum anxiety and my oldest kids are tw- are 16 at this point. But like even last night, I know this is ridiculous, but like I have all four kids at home. Thank God. You know, they're all back from summer programs. It would all, I mean, this is like, you know, woe is me, but you know, they're all here. And I went to bed and I was just like, okay, I can go to bed knowing that all four kids are here and they're safe and they're in my house. And thank God. Do you know what I mean? Like, just thank yes. God. And I could sleep well, but when they weren't, I like could not even sleep. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. It's like you really, you're, there's like a part of your mind that is constantly being vigilant on their, on their behalf. You know, I did, um, so I also, I, I also, in my other, in my other life where I, I'm a doctoral student in clinical psychology and I see psychotherapy patients and I did my dissertation research on how mothers experience the anxiety for the unknown futures of their children. Oh, and so I spoke to all these mothers about, the, and one thing I learned that I'd always suspected, but like, it was, I think, helpful to have confirmed. It never, it truly never. I mean, I spoke to mothers who like their kids were in their 30s or 40s and they're still feeling this way, you know? You're, and I'm like, okay, so this is a lifelong condition. And I have to find a way to find richness and meaning in it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What else did you learn from the women? What, what did you get from them? You know, a, a lot. I learned a lot. I mean, I would say to me, one of the most interesting things I learned was that. Well, one thing was that everyone worries about their worry. Like they worry mm-hmm. about whether they're worrying too much. You know? <laughs> and so, and I was, and it's like one. There was like if there was one takeaway. It was like, don't worry about your worry. Like it's so normal that you have your worry, but don't let it control you. Like you know, you want to like have some distance from it so you can be curious about your worry and like, why am I worrying about this particular thing? Like don't take your worry as fact. I guess was the thing I came away from, but don't worry about it, you know, just be <laughs> curious about it because the worry about it, then you start driving yourself crazy and then you feel bad about yourself and then you doubt every instinct. And then you, so that was one thing. The other thing I, that I was really surprised to find was I found that the women who came in saying, Oh my God, I'm such a worried mess. Like I'm a disaster. Let me tell you all about it. They were not a mess actually. I mean, they were very worried and they were very aware of their worry but they also found, I mean, as I just said, like this richness and meaning in their work, they really did. They would say these beautiful things about how like it gave them a sense of like more of the abundance of life. And like they could feel like the beauty of it because because it was like a, on any moment it could be ripped away. Like just these beautiful, engaged, rich statements that they were gleaning from their experience of maternal worry. And then the women who came in saying like, you know, I don't even know why I responded to your call. Like, I'm really not very worried. I'm very good at controlling my worry. You know, I have the following tools and techniques that I use to control my worry. They were a little bit of a mess Interesting. because they were not letting in the worry and sort of, and, and, and grappling with it and sitting with it and just acknowledging that it, it's, it's necessary that like our children's futures are uncertain and you just have to make peace with that in some way. So instead of making peace with it, they're trying to keep it out of mind. And they, and some really, you know, upsetting material would sort of like spring out as they were talking, you know, just these like dark images and fantasies of escape to like safe havens. And, and that, I mean, I found that really interesting. I felt like, yeah, I mean, if there's, if there was a takeaway from that for me, it was just acknowledge and make peace with and accept that this uncertainty is incredibly hard and inescapable. And you have to find a way to, to sit side by side with it somehow. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Wow. So you're a clinical psychologist, doctoral student. Yes, doctoral student. Doctoral student. You have written this novel. You have, how old is your your son now? He's six and a half. He's six and a half. Do you have other kids? It's just him. Okay. So when were you doing this book? Like, how did you get this? <laughs> how did you get this all done? How long did it take? What time did you find to write? And like, how did you not let the book itself stressed you out. Ooh, that's that's that 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 last one. I'm 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 not sure about. Um, <laughs> I think I I'm like a compulsive writer. Like I'm always in the middle of writing a novel. I don't know how to not be in the middle of writing a novel. If I'm not in the middle of writing a novel, I don't know where to put my thoughts. Mm. And so I think I just sort of found the time. The the pandemic helped me. I will say because instead of seeing my psychotherapy clients in a clinic, I was seeing them at home over Zoom. And I always stagger people by an hour because I don't want one person's world to like infect another in my mind. So I would take like 10 minutes after I was done with someone, sort of like stream of consciousness, write down all my thoughts and feelings about what had just happened. 
take a breath, write for an hour, see the next person, do that again. And it was sort of, it almost like was like palate cleanser. It would like bring me back to myself and then I'd be able to enter someone else's world entirely. So that was how I wrote it. I wrote it between psychotherapy clients. And then sometimes, you know, early, early in the morning before my son woke up. And how did I not let it stress me out? I mean, I think actually this was the least stressful book for me to write. And it's been the least stressful book for me to publish because before I was a mother, I had a different relationship to my ambition and to my art. Like I was just like, this, I want this to be like received this way. I want it to like people to read it in this way. I want to be, you know, taken seriously in this way. All these things that had to do with how other people were going to experience it, how I was going to be received, how the world would like take. And with this book, it's like, I don't have time for that. And, and, and my life and my internal world feels like such messy, fascinating chaos to me that this book, I just need this to make sense of it. Like this is my personal meaning making project to like make sense of what life is right now and what I'm going through and what other people have gone through when they go through this. And so there was like an urgency and a personal urgency to it. And even now, like, you know, in the publication, it's sort of easy to slip into like, oh, you know, like, oh, the New York Times loved it. Like that everything's great. And that feels great for like 10 minutes. And then your kid is like really mad at you because you got the wrong Pokemon card. And that's like the next three hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're like, that's real life. That's what matters. And, and it's so much more grounded. And so I just, I don't stress about it in the way that I used to. It just feels like one tiny thing that's happening in my life. I mean, I feel like maybe more than 10 minutes, maybe an hour you could get from the New York Times. I, I, I don't have, know, a day. I might have, I might have had, I think I had a full hour. My, my son really was quite mad about this Pokemon mix-up. <laughs> yes. No, I understand that. We have a Pokemon whole situation. We had like nights where everything had, we were like all putting them in the sleeves of the thing and let's put it this way. And can you help me? And I'm like, oh my gosh, why am I spending my time putting Pokemon cards in a sleeve? Like this takes forever. The other night I found myself, like my son was already asleep and I was putting Pokemon cards in the right categories in the binder yes, for like 15 yes. minutes. I'm like, what am I doing? Why I am I doing this? I That's have been in that exact position because I'm like, well, they're not, you know, and then you know, are they alphabetized correctly? And I mean, I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> there is like a weird satisfaction in it though, I have to say. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Also, it's nice to know, like, this is what my child needs and this I can do as opposed to oh like, I think he might need like, I don't know. I don't even know this. Like, I, I, there are just so many things we don't know, but this is yeah. so, so clear. <laughs> oh, I think that's, I think you really put your finger on it. That is part of the satisfaction. It's like, you know, it's like you, your kid might be like having trouble with their friends at school and you're like, right. how do I protect them from exactly. rejection? How do yes. like, you can't, but you can organize those Pokemon cards. Yes. Really well. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. <laughs> I've never thought about it that way, but yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Maybe it takes a, a certain neurotic mother to like find so much joy in that, but I feel very seen at this moment. <laughs> I do too. I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, okay. So then how did you get into writing to begin with? Like, tell me about growing up. Where did you grow up? What's your whole story? I grew up in New Jersey. I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish community. So that is, I feel like I grew up in like the 18th century a little bit, <laughs> which I think is helpful as a writer. Cause you look at everything from like, you're like, look at this interesting world I'm in. Like what, what happens here in California in the 21st century? But my mother was a novelist. So it was very, like, that was just like, that was just a thing grownups did. Like, some grownups were novelists. Like, that was just a very normal thing. And so I had it, I always had it in my mind that that might be a thing I would do. 
it's funny because this feels very timely with the Barbie movie out now, uh, which I've not seen yet somehow. But I know it's ridiculous. I got I got to go. I really I got to put that on my on my on my priority list. But I my mother for a while when I was young was like no Barbies, you know, feminists, no Barbies. And then finally she caved. And when she caved, she caved big. (laughs) And I had like dozens of Barbies. And I had this like ongoing religious drama starring my Barbies that it went on for like years and I didn't have to clean up my room because like this, like the, the plot line would be, you know, disturbed if I had to clean up my room. And I think that was when I became a novelist, you know, mm-hmm. I was just like, I am working something out here and it, and I have a plot line and an, a story arc and characters that are going on for years, even though they are all Barbie. And I think that was it. Like I was hooked. I was like, this is how I make sense of my world. This is how I make sense of everything around me. It's through taking characters and, and having them go through, difficult things. I will say also my father, this, I mean, this is relevant to the book because there's like this physics in it. My father um, is a mathematical physicist who works in mm. foundations of quantum mechanics, um, which comes up in the book. And so that it was like, I had sort of both these things with sort of the novels, the novel writing and this sort of like immersion in, in science. And I think that that came in particularly handy for this book and realizing like, oh, like a natural way for me to write is actually to do do this sort of like sci-fi light, you know, this like using a little bit of sci-fi to get at psychological reality. And it was such a fun way to write. And I I think I'm going to do it from now on, honestly. That sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) And then did you debate ever being a full-time writer versus being a therapist? Or being a psychologist yeah. or other things you were interested in? Oh, there were so many things I was interested in. For a while in my 20s, I just wrote. And actually, I think in my early 30s as well. There was, like a, there was a period of time after I had published my first novel, which I think I was 27 or 28 when I published my first novel, where I was just writing. And I was teaching writing. You know, I was teaching writing. And everything was about writing. And that just did not work for me. There was some combination of like, well, I'll tell you, I think that the main thing that happened is that I realized I just didn't like teaching writing that much. There were parts of it I loved, but I felt like when someone gave you a piece of writing, you had two choices. You could either tell them how to make this into the best version of what they wanted it to be, Mm -hmm. or you could tell them how to make it like something that might actually sell and like be successful. And I wasn't really interested in the second part. I was interested in like figuring out with them the first part, like, Mm -hmm. what do you want this to be? What would this, what's, you know, and, and that to me, I was like, well, maybe there's another way to do this. Like maybe that's more being like being a therapist. And I, and I think that really, you know, what that highlighted for me is that what I am so interested in as a novelist, as a human, as everything, it's just like, what is it like to be a human? What is it like to be other people? What is it like from the inside for everyone? And it just felt like, well, if there's a job where I can do that and I can actually help people by doing that, that sounds really nice and like a, a really good balance to being a novelist. And, and, and I have found that. And it's also so nice to have a place to put your ego that is not like subject to the whims of the market. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I understand yeah. that too. Wow. <laughs> I thought I thought I wanted to be a, a clinical psychologist. I took the GREs and I was an intensive psychology major in college and thought that's what I wanted to do because like you, I am fascinated by people. I love understanding people. I never get tired of people's stories. I think that's why I do this. Like I yeah. hang on every word. I'm like legitimately interested. I'm like, tell me your story. I want to hear it. 
it ended up just not being the path I followed for all these different reasons. But um, that's if I had a sci-fi novel about my life, that was the possibilities. I think that I would have had a life in which I became the psychologist and like you know, we would have seen what happened there. So, <laughs> oh, I, I'd like to read that. That sounds good. <laughs> Maybe you should write. You can write that. You know, <laughs> I'll give it to you. You could you take it. Oh my gosh, are are you writing anything new? By the way. I am. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've started a new book and, and I'm having fun. I'm like sort of still in that place with it where you're like, it's all play and it's all just like, and maybe this. And then like, you have some weird image. You're like, well, how does that fit? And you just go down some rabbit hole. Like maybe that's how that fits. So it's like, it's like hard. I, for a while I was calling it my sci-fi house of mirth, but I'm not (laughs) sure. I'm not sure it fits anymore, but I still, I like the sentence. So I'll, I still say it. (laughs) Yeah. I like the sentence too. Intriguing, totally intriguing. Oh I'm glad God. you think that. Do you read a lot of sci-fi? Like, what's your go-to? I actually, I do. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I read, I read voraciously, which I think like most writers and, and book lovers do. But um, I, I think that I was actually, I was thinking about it the other day because I, I mean, obviously, I'm getting asked this a lot about you know what sci-fi I read, and I think this is true, but I can't be sure. I think that, so the, the book I've read most in my life, I think I've read it like nine or 10 times is George, is George Eliot's Middlemarch. Like Middlemarch is the most, so George Eliot is the writer I've read. But I think that the writer I have reread the second most is Octavia Butler. Uh-huh. I just love her. And I love what she, I mean, and she does exactly what I find most interesting and, and, and valuable about sci-fi, which is like, she just tweaks the laws of nature just enough to show us our own reality in a new mm-hmm. light. And to me, that is the power of sci-fi is that it, you know, I think there are some people who write sci-fi to just like, you know, for like a complete escape of reality. And that's beautiful. And that's, but that's not the kind of sci-fi I love. Like what I love is that, you know, it just like, it pulls back the a curtain to show us something about our own reality in a completely new way. And so, yeah, I just, I just, I admire her without bounds and, and other, and, and yeah, I would say, you know, all the sci-fi writers that I really love and respond to do something similar to that. And there's so many, and then there are so many people who write, it's sort of like between genres in the way that I, you know, that, that this book I was trying to do and, and that I think, and I think I kind of will do from now on. So like Victor Laval, I mean, I don't know if you'd ever call him, sci-fi writer but he like it's like it it defies genre you know mm-hmm. but and he's he's one of my absolute favorites and emily st john mandel like similarly it's just these things yeah. where it's like who cares what genre this is it's a great story why do we need to know yeah. what genre it is okay I, i'm sorry i didn't even i was just asking if you liked them. oh no oh, I'm no. oh, oh my god i'm, so I'm kidding <laughs> i'm totally kidding i'm totally kidding <laughs> okay do you have any advice for aspiring authors yeah i that's a great question um i would say enjoy it. Enjoy the writing because that is the only fun part. (laughs) And if you're not, and don't think about, I think maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe the sort of more practical way of saying that is like, do not worry about what you think might sell because you have no idea what might sell. The fashions are constantly changing. Trends are changing. You have no idea like what just flopped, what just did well, because there's too much of it to know. So write what you feel passionate about enjoy the process. If you're not enjoying writing some particular scene because it's like feeling plotting, you are not writing it the right way. (laughs) It is going to feel plotting. So like following that joy in the writing, I think is everything. I love it. Wow. And you're based in California. Is that what you said? Yeah. I'm in Berkeley. You're in Berkeley. Amazing. This is great. 
Thank you so much. I've Thank totally you. enjoyed chatting with you. Congratulations on your book. I can't wait to read the book we came up with together. And yeah, I hope I get to meet you in person one day. I hope so too. Thank you so much. This was All a right. joy. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.